Welcome, welcome, everybody, back to a new episode of the Utah Film Club podcast, where each week we invite a member of the club onto the show to talk about a film of their choice, whether it be good, bad, topically relevant, or anything in between. It's all on the table. I am your host, Rohan Patel, and joining me today are co-hosts who were also here last week, Stephanie Huang and Cynthia Lee. How are you all doing? Good. 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 I'm glad to hear y'all. Y'all have been doing stuff. Seen any good movies recently outside of perhaps this? We won't spoil what we think of the Autumn Sonata, but any any anything you'd recommend you saw this week? There's this Korean zombie show on Netflix called Kingdom. Very good. Highly recommend. And they release like a, a feature length special spinoff backstory thingy. I watched that and it's good. Like, you know, Korean zombies, zombie genre, you can really rely on them to like put out that like solid content. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I feel like that's a genre I never saw coming when I was younger that I've now grown to appreciate immensely. Like the like super stylization of like the gore and shit. Is yeah. I mean, yeah. I, does it have that or no? I think, I mean, the show does a really good job. Like, it's not just zombie. It's like medieval Korea, ancient Korea. The Jill Song era is what it is. But there are like themes of like classism and sexism that are like woven into this zombie plague. And everybody's dressed up in these cool, like historic outfits. And there's like a lot of zombie fighting and everything. It's good. Interesting. It's medieval zombies. Is this is this what I'm getting like yeah. relatively? Oh. Yeah, medieval Korean zombies. It's so good. I'm like good zombie content is like. Yeah, I do like the zombie genre. <laughs> that sounds interesting. Yeah. Cynthia, anything you got on the recommendation list from this week? I don't even know if I'd recommend it. I was just genuinely. We talked about it a little off, but. I was genuinely surprised by Suicide Squad. I saw that yesterday. Um, I don't know, it was kind of fun. <laughs> and I'm like a pretty, I wouldn't say hater, but I have a general disinterest in most superhero films. So, you know, that's nice. Whoa, I don't know that, is, that is the highest praise coming from Cynthia, in other words. <laughs> I wore my Martin Scorsese shirt. And it's just that, that says, it's fine. <laughs> or they're okay. <laughs> they're fine. That is I hilarious. I out every time I watch a superhero movie. And more than often, he's right. Yeah. It's interesting. That's funny in terms of the James Gunn comments. I don't know I don't if you saw them on Twitter. Yeah. I was just I'm like, dang. It up. I mainly wear it because I think Martin Scorsese is funny. And he's literally my Twitter banner right now. Who knows when that will happen, When what it will be when I when you post this but it was it, it was the twitter banner as of early august so for for the historical record in it's case people are curious where he's holding that palm springs trophy that's like this weird cactus pickle if you go to my twitter account and then he's holding his dog on the other hand it's out three times <laughs> that's hilarious i need i will go to your twitter as soon as we're off the pod, I will find that because <laughs> that I have not seen that picture. Um, it was posted on his daughter's Instagram account because his daughter just like explodes the shit. <laughs> yeah, his daughter's Martin Scorsese con- con- content on her social medias are great. Yeah, her yeah. favorite film is Shark Tales. Shark Tales, Shark Tales. Yes, I agree. <laughs> I I one thousand percent agree with that with that rating right there. Yeah. Um, I, I'll throw in a recommendation. I saw Invincible in terms of gory superhero stuff. If you like that, and maybe The Suicide Squad if you've seen it once this comes out, but <laughs> Invincible on Amazon Prime is really, really good. Yeah, it's really gory, but it's also like really emotional, especially Super towards the end. also really gory. We're on like a gory trend, like a gory pattern. Honestly, I'm, 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 I'm here for it. I'm, Watch I, I, Kingdom. I'm, it's so good. Okay. Highly recommend. My like capacity to watch movies right now has like shrunk so much because of just oh. I'm so tired. Yeah, me time. too. I haven't watched very many. I watched 500 Days of Summer recently. That was like a yeah. nice, lighthearted, lighthearted-ish watch. 
Yeah. Movie. Joseph Gordon-Levitt is very attractive, but like the characters in that movie, I was like, I don't like any of you guys. <laughs> no is no. That's what you should come away from that movie. That is, that is, yes, good message. Know. So that's sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have not seen it, but I, I generally know the, okay. the issue. I have this other thing to say. This is not really related. So I was in Seattle this past weekend. We did this Harry Potter scavenger hunt. It is hosted by Harry Potter Trivia Seattle, and it was sponsored by Scarecrow. Um, except if you read Matthew Lynch's reviews of all the Harry Potter movies, they're all bad. He like he thinks they're all like two one and a half star reviews, and Scarecrow is sponsoring the Harry Potter trivia. So I thought That's it was just... like one thirtieth of Scarecrow. He's just this like. He's a big letterbox personality, but he's just. I thought he owned Scarecrow. No, he does not. Oh, never mind. Just I think (laughs) volunteers there or works there. Also, his ratings are just generally harsh. He gave Minari like three stars, so like, damn, bro, like three stars seems like sure it didn't move you, but like three stars. Suicide Squad of four. That is that is wrong. I I don't I haven't seen the Suicide Squad, and I'm sure I'll love it, but that's wrong. That's that's sorry. I'm just like can't get this movie out of my head right now, just because I was like actually shocked that I liked it. Interesting. Cool. Probably because I also, again, haven't seen that many movies. It's like Autumn Sonata is still on my mind, and I saw that like five days ago. Yeah, yeah. Speaking speaking of depressing things, that includes Suicide Squad being better than Minari. I guess we should also talk about the film of today, um, which. <laughs> is so for those that aren't or have not kept up with us recently so we're recording these in summer quarter which means film club's not happening which means we don't have members necessarily to come on the pod to talk about like individual movies so we here are going to go are going through trilogies of filmmakers and we're going right now through the a trilogy of ingmar bergman works i say works because next week our goal is to probably do the mini series version of scenes of, of a marriage teasing that for um future podcasts but yeah so today we uh are going to talk about his 1978 film uh autumn sonata which yeah heavy hitter like emotionally heavy hitter like yeah Jesus, i felt super sad yeah i thought shame was kind of hard to watch yeah huge like eldest daughter mother conflict vibes yeah I was- yeah i i i i I came away from the film and i felt like an elephant had been added to my chest in like the best way possible and that sounds really weird but i mean it's also it's kind of hopeful we can talk about that later but yeah yeah definitely there's some things towards the end i kind of tease that but that's a good point uh yeah so i will I, I this this synopsis is pretty brief. It's actually a pretty simple movie when you really think about it in terms of like what happens. But I'll go through it like a really quick synopsis of it. So essentially, and so just for context, this uh, film introduces us to Ava, who lives with her husband Victor and uh, takes care of her disabled sister Helena in this house. Ava's mother Charlotte visits her for the first time in nearly seven years, and initially Charlotte is shocked to see Helena, thinking that she was still in the home, in in a home which uh, she left her in. Um, And after a somewhat pleasant evening, essentially Charlotte, uh, uh, Charlotte does really nice things. She even offers to give Eva her car as like a sign of good faith during the, during the, during the first day of her visit. But at night, um, things escalate as uh, when Charlotte begins to fall asleep, she has a nightmare of Eva choking her to death, uh, which then she wakes up uh, in a scream, in a panic, and is unable to fall asleep. And Eva meets her in the living room, where both Eva and Charlotte have a really deep, deep emotional conversation that's really heavy. We learn about a lot of stuff in Eva's past that is caught, that is a lot of trauma when she was a child. Charlotte was a world-renowned pianist who traveled for months at a time, and as a result, Eva felt like she was completely unloved during those times. But even when Charlotte uh, uh, Charlotte um, tells her that 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 there was a realization in her life that she needed to spend time with her daughter, so she quit being a pianist. But 
the energy she put into Eva, she Eva tells Charlotte that it forced her to hide herself, even, you know, to the point where even to the present day, she's scared to show her real self to people because she doesn't think that she's worthy of love or that she can love. Uh, Eva even goes so far as to blame Hel uh, Helena's illness that causes her disability on Charlotte's time away from them. Eva also talks about, God, it just sounds like a really depressing list of just things that, anyway, yeah. Uh, so anyway, Eva also reveals that she felt pressured to have an abortion uh, when she was impregnated by a young man she fell in love with in her teens. And she reveals that even to the present day, she is with her husband, but she doesn't quite love him. And combined with the fact that Eva's son with the, his with her current husband, um, their son uh, drowned when he was, I believe, four or five. The conversation wears on both of them to the fact that they don't even notice during that entire 40 minute, 30 minute conversation that Helena calls for them uh, from the top stairs uh, in uh, for help. In the morning, Charlotte essentially uh, leaves and Eva goes to her son's graveyard after a really heavy night and the end of the film essentially shows uh, has Charlotte sending Eva a letter apologizing and regretting the actions, leaving the possibility of a future reconciliation. So essentially, it's a pretty simple film. Mom comes to see daughter. They have a really deep, heavy conversation, and we learn a lot about the past and then possibility of reconciliation, question mark. That, that, I feel like that plot synopsis didn't quite do it justice. Um, in terms of just how, I mean, yeah, there's a list there, but it, there's a lot in terms of the performances, the writing that we can talk about and the way everything is just delivered in this sort of slow reveal of everything that just like makes every moment, for me at least, gripping to watch. But I I, I did want to, I was curious, what, what, what did either of you do after watching this film? I think that's a good way to start. I know we've talked about how hard it was, but like I, I'll, I'll share. I literally went and I talked to my mom afterwards and I told her I loved her and then I just like couldn't sleep. So like I watched YouTube and paranormal investigators to like, just like process it. It was weird. I just like needed some time to myself. But yeah, I don't know what, what did, what did either of you do? How did you immediately come away? with on sonata um i went i after i finished it i went and i was looking for this specific tumblr post about eldest daughter syndrome that i had read a while ago i never found it but it was just like eldest eldest daughter syndrome be like like suppressing your emotions so that your younger siblings don't get harmed um, imitating your mom but hating her at the same time and then like it listed all these other things that happened in the movie and I was yeah I just vibed hard with it Interesting. Cynthia what about you I literally like I feel like I do this a lot now though I don't know I just like laid in the couch and then stared at my tv screen for a really long time <laughs> I didn't know what to do after it Probably, yeah. I stared at my TV for like a good 10 minutes and then I watched the, the Criterion supplements, but um, it was really sad and like heartbroken, but also kind of optimistic. It was like a weird feeling. Yeah, like I think, I, I think this is like one of the rawest like films that I've seen in terms of just like, it's a really simple film and like, I, I didn't expect it to go as deep. Like usually like with last film, uh, that we watched of Bergman Shame, uh, which you could check on our podcast feed for that episode. Ooh. Yeah, but that one was so wrapped in the genre of war that I just completely, I, I, I didn't even know the plot synopsis of this. I, I didn't really want to know. So I was really caught off guard by just how like, oh, it's just all in this living room. Everything is just being spilled out. And I think, I think one of the places I wanted to start with was the writing and sort of the way Bergman sort of structured everything, which I think was really interesting. Yeah. And I don't know, I think it was really, it, it's interesting to see sort of how his style evolved from shame to here, um, or it not even evolved, but sort of changed to the story. Cause I think the use of like the opening scene actually has a Victor, Eva's husband narrating to the audience and like a weird fourth wall breaking thing, which was really interesting. I, 
I personally saw it as like a way to bring the audience in directly into the story and just like enrapture us. But I, I don't know. I, I thought that was an interesting choice and it really stood out to me. Um, but I didn't know if that caught the attention of either of you or if there's any other parts of the stylistic choices that he made like that and the writing that, that stood out to you. The fourth wall breaking thing was interesting, mainly because it doesn't come again, really. Um, I guess the end is kind of ugh. like when she writes the letters it sometimes feels like she's breaking the fourth wall when she's like writing them and then her face comes up as if she's like narrating them or something but I don't know because I, I remember when it first came up I was like oh he's gonna like do something fun with this or like make it like a weird play because it does have kind of like play energy so I, I don't know and to be honest, I kind of forgot about it as the film went on. It's interesting to think about because you can see that like device in two ways where it's like either you're inviting the audience in to get let them be more intimate or it could be seen as like a distancing um, device where you kind of like, it's like third person versus first person in a way, um, like writing in a, for like literature and stuff. So I don't know because it's so interesting that I guess the outside perspective of this woman who then we see just deteriorate to the thing that she doesn't necessarily I don't I think like he goes on and he's like you know she doesn't think she can love herself and you kind of see how that became what it is that way of thinking but at the same time but it also she he kind of described her as like really cold and as you watch the film, you don't necessarily get the feeling of cold, but rather like really impassioned, like detest and bottled up hatred that eventually gets let out that almost is opposed of what he's describing. Other than like, like the only thing that I think he says that I agree with is like, she doesn't think she can't be loved, but then you find out the reason, you know, so I don't really know what to make of that. Um, not to keep ramble, like rambling on, but I also really, I can talk about this after Stephanie gives her thoughts about the, the breaking the wall, but I did want to bring up kind of how he structures the writing here as well, just because there's a lot of moments that, I mean, this is like pretty melodramatic and like someone could argue that this film is a melodrama in a way. And I think the one moment where I was like, this might not work if it was like any other film was like when she they dropped the bomb that she was like forced to get an abortion but for some reason it like totally worked because I think Bergman just does a, such a good job building up to that point through dialogue and narrative that it doesn't feel like oh another like it doesn't feel like he put that in there just to create like an very jarring effect it, it felt like a natural progression of what was leading up Sorry, I told you. No, that's a, that's a really interesting point. I, I I definitely got strong melodrama vibes from this much more than in a lot of his other films that I've seen personally. I don't think anyone would consider Bergman in the genre of melodrama. Melodrama is quote unquote lowbrow. Yeah, and it's really interesting. And I think you see that like sort of the progression towards that as he's getting older. And you see like scenes of a marriage and Fanny and Alexander and these much more smaller domestic dramas. I think we can talk about that as well. I don't know, Stephanie, if you have any thoughts on that or even the fourth wall breaking. Um, I liked the, that the movie started and ended with the, the, the husband um, giving his narration. Like it comes full circle and we're sort of in, in the same position as him because we're like looking at this from mm -hmm. the outside. And the only context that we have for their relationship is the context that the husband has. But I do, I would agree that I think the writing is done in a really good way. There were like a lot of things, little things that I noticed and like little like one-liners that the both women would shout and I'd be like, damn, that's like poetry. Oh my goodness. Like there's this one that like, I think the, I think, What's the daughter's name again? Ava. It's literally the same name, same name as her character in Shame. But um, she says, um, mm -hmm. 
you took charge of all of the words in our house. And I was like, oh my goodness, that's so deep. I was like, I was having like, like disassociative moments because I was hearing these lines that they were shouting at each other. And I was like, oh my goodness, poetry. But I think um, the writing is really well done that way. It's like, there's sort of like a slow, I don't know, a very believable reveal of their... Um, raw feelings mm -hmm. that like from the beginning they're very cordial with each other and like that disintegration is very believable um and then i also the other thing i realized is that a lot of the times in the movies ava will accuse her mom of doing something and her mom will like not remember like ava will be like and then you did this and you left early and you broke your promise and then um ava's mom charlotte will just not remember that she did it and she but she will remember like the song or the concert that she was playing mm -hmm. directly after she was like blah 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 you left four days earlier than you promised and she was like i don't remember what happened i just knew i had to play bartok's first symphony in geneva <laughs> i was like okay okay which but, just like, yeah. shows you kind of like that reveal priorities yeah yeah without actually saying it even though this film is rather pretty direct i don't think it's very subtle at all i think it's really interesting because then she uses the defensive oh i realized the wrongs of my ways when you were about eight or nine or whatever and i gave up all that but that energy is just so controlling and like the the line I take charge of the wards of our house i think just echoes just how controlled ava felt to, uh, to being around her mother and sort of how her mother projects herself onto ava I, I think it was a really strong and effective thing and i see it in a lot of relationships sort of how that how that manifests and i i i thought that was a really interesting direction to sort of take to go in and to just directly approach head on yeah other thing I did want to say also is that last week we talked about Ingrid Bergman. Um, this is their collaboration. Yes. I think we should also talk about just how great all the performances are, especially from her. The fact that the Bergmans of cinema, the, the two Bergmans, in my opinion, no matter how many Bergmans come in the next hundred or so years or whatever of cinema. Yeah, I think this is, I actually don't know is Ingrid Bergman English? Question mark. No, no. she's she, she's what? Sorry, Swedish. She's Swedish. Okay, interesting. She okay, like came to America like right at the precipice of World War II, I believe. Um, gotcha. She was like pretty well known um, in the European film market, and then MGM or Warner Bros. like said, "Come over." Yeah. I watched one of her pre-fame Swedish films. Mm -hmm. But like then she very... went back. Yeah, she had an affair with an Robert, uh, Rosalini. Robert Rosalini and <laughs> her popularity tanked during then affair. Mm -hmm. So she went back to Europe. Um, and then after some time passed and like the rubble died down, she like came back and she won an Oscar. And so everybody was like, yay, Ingrid Bergman again. Yeah, short synopsis of her scandalous life. Yeah, but yeah, no, I think one of the most interesting things about her performance is, and the reason I asked that is the code switching between her British sort of accent and her Swedish accent, I think is really interesting in terms of her character, sort of like having this professional, you know, I, I hear it all the time in my business classes, English is like the business language of the world, which I'm like, oh my God. But literally I've heard that so many times and I every time she she was talking to like her agent and it's like the one, one or two, two, the couple of times that the, that the movie switched to English, I was like, I, I just couldn't, bringing up the, the, the elements of like, sort of the life and the energy she put into her pianist career. I think it is just shown in even in the language that she's she spoke a completely different accent just my, to avoid that side of her life while she was performing my favorite part with that because yeah the the code switching is like it's such an interesting facet into her character my favorite part is like i think it's toward the end where ava is like writing her letter and she's like oh i hope i can like forgive like i i I'm going to forgive my mom, blah, 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 you know, and then she code switches to English and starts like talking shit and just being like, that was the worst. She's like, 
the worst I'm better off without them kind of thing and you kind of see how like she doesn't use the English as like a manipulative tool in any way but definitely it's like this other it just reveals kind of this other side of her where you just don't really like there's this weird duality in this mother figure you can't really figure out who she is and it makes it all the more interesting of just like the mother who she's a musician but it feels like almost she's like an actor at the same time like she's able to kind of like turn on that switch and perform and then turn it off and turn it back on again and I think that code switching really just kind of emphasizes her duality and and kind of the the sickening it's not sickening because I definitely feel bad for the mother at some many points in this movie as well but it's like quote-unquote evilness of the mother even though I don't think she's like evil because evil is a very strong word but you get what I mean right I I totally get what you're saying I I think it's I think it's interesting the it's it's sort of the othering of her like there's this and and it's I think it's very smart of Bergman to only included very selectively throughout the film as like this sort of reminder and like that conversation on the train that you were you were mentioning I think it I think it just complicates what what comes late what comes next which is the letter saying I was wrong mm-hmm. well at the same time on the in English on the train she was just like why couldn't my why couldn't Helena die I was like geez like yeah. like th- those are two very different things you know, the fact and the fact that it was written in Swedish, the letter and what she says spoken is in English, I think just accentuates that fact even more. Even when she like finds out that her own daughter is at the house, she's so disappointed and spiteful. I was like, oh my goodness. Them I, like lecturing themselves, like the whole thing with the dinner dress, I thought was just really well done i think just like pay attention to her dinner dress she's supposed to be a widow in mourning and she's oh i'll spite them i i she's like i'm going to spite ava for not telling me beforehand that helene my own other daughter was here by wearing a red dress at dinner and i was just like oh my goodness I think that's a really interesting point in terms of the context of this duality or even these two competing sides. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think it's really interesting to see. And like, I, I think I, I think I forget if I mentioned it before, but sort of Bergman uses a lot of cutting between different either places or different times in this film that I think is really, really interesting. And I, I, I think in that specific context, it's like you see already we haven't gotten to the conversation yet but he's dropping these little breadcrumbs of like oh shit there there's something uneasy going on there's a scheming behind both of their personas for a lack of a better word um (laughs) get it because that's also about two women who are competing with each other oh my god no puns with meaning that is what we get on this podcast um but I, I I I was like, oh my gosh, there's there's this level of I I, I it was one of it was around there where I started to feel like really uneasy, like something something was wrong. Cause at in the beginning, I think with the cinematography of the lush autumn and sort of like the it, there was a very calming presence in the house that was like not necess- that began to sort of like go away as like these two started to battle each other even though they weren't directly you know necessarily battling or even talking to each other i think the moment i mean i definitely that moment is definitely one where it's just like you're on edge of like so like shit's about to go down but i think another standout moment for me has to be the piano playing sequence it's Mm -hmm. so, so like so passive and everyone's just trying to hide behind everything it's like the first kind of I I kind of see this film as like different microcosms of like fights where they're just kind of sitting and discussing and I think that one is like the most I guess subtle and passive in a way because they're not like directly just throwing bits at one another right right then but it's so beautiful in the way it's executed and how it's written from it's like the daughter clearly wants to hear praise from the mom it's kind of like up to that point it's pretty clear I I don't know if she says it 
right away but I you get the energy like the way Liv Oldman plays the character you get the energy of just like this girl wants just please the way she dresses like a 12 year old child you're almost like this person is just so regressed like being with her mom just just made her lose like 40 years <laughs> um or however well, old like Oldman is. I was a doll for you to play with Mm -hmm. um when you wanted to and to put away when you were bored yeah yeah literally a doll mm -hmm. and so like in that piano sequence it's like she plays it you know Ava clearly thinks it's like pretty good like worthy of like oh good job you know at least like a good job right and then Bergman keeps his camera on Ingrid Bergman and she you can just see her face kind of like i'm trying i'm making the face on trying to make the face on this, this zoom but that doesn't work but it's like this weird you can like see in her eyes kind of like the oscillation of like should i tell her this is good or should i like tell her how i really feel where i think it's kind of bad and shitty and you see kind of that struggle and you ultimately ultimately what wins out is her like instinct as like a performer um and not as a mother where she's like yeah that was bad but then what makes it worse is like how the daughter is like well then show me how how to play like what what makes it so good and like you can clearly see the mom like not want to do it because she knows what's gonna happen if she, it does and then when she does it like both of them end up being pretty upset because the daughter was like has that feeling of like well you're just doing this because you want to one-up me in a certain way um and that's and it's clearly better you know and the mom was like well you asked me to so it was like it ends up being like this weird lose-lose situation for the both of them um even though both of them are kind of just asking each other and answering like just both one of them is asking a question and the other one is responding as honestly as possible but like the honesty of themselves like just clashes so much and it's really complicated and I thought it was just such a subtle way of like showing how much they're like so oppositional without directly being like well you did this and you did that which does kind of end up happening towards the latter of this film but in a more natural way but like this this part of it is like a really preview of kind of the tensions in between them that I thought was just so wonderfully executed because again it's not direct but you can definitely see it happening between everyone and that point yeah I'm just sitting there <laughs> <laughs> yeah Victor Victor's interesting I like uh I, I, I'll, I'll return back because I also think that piano sequence is really is really brilliant in, in that respect too. But I, 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 I just reminds me of Victor literally walking in, hearing both of them just arguing and just being like, nope. And then just like staying silent for the rest of the film pretty much until the end. And I'm like, honestly, yeah. Um, but I, I also think like, I, and I, I think you were touching upon this, but I also do want to emphasize for me myself, I, I also saw like the power dynamic immediately there. Like for me, I did, like, I wasn't really quite sure why, you know, there was such this long, this long distance relationship or long distance relationship. Well, well, There's I just, think it's just the way they physically appear. I mean, Ingrid Bergman comes in and she's like royal in her pants, like little, like pants. Like, I don't yeah. think that like, yeah. So it's just like, and she looks like Hollywood glamour and Liv Ullman literally looks like a 12 year old child, like with the braids and the wired glasses. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good point in terms of the costume. I never, dang. yeah, the- the, the... you watched Shane and the way Liv Ullman is dressed there is completely different. Um, yeah, I, I think the, that, that power dynamic is immediately set up in there. And I, I didn't even need to see like I could have inferred the rest of the movie just based off of that scene if I really tried, just understanding the power dynamic of both of them understand that Charlotte is the more successful one. And the, 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 there's a seed of resentment in the way that she one-ups Ava that I think Bergman just, again, 
I I find it hard to believe all I want I both shame and this one both I've been reading interviews and he's like oh I wrote this in like a couple of weeks or like a month or two I'm like Jesus Christ Bergman like like you're pumping this out you're pumping such quality out in like a couple of weeks I'm like July just went by and I feel like I did nothing anyway I think that it, I I think that it, it's just the writing in this is just so well done. Like I, 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 I think we've mentioned that before, but like I, I just, I, I also just wanted to piggyback off of that, for sure. I don't know Stephanie if you had any thoughts on on that sequence or. I definitely agree with the piano sequence because I'm like ninety percent sure that's happened to me in, in real life. Just like when you're them going like, oh, I liked it. No, you didn't like it. Tell me what's wrong. Like, I swear to God, this happens with like my mom's cooking sometimes where she like will ask a question and it's like already like no matter which way you answer it, it's going to be bad. She'll be like, do you think the fried rice was salty? And then me and my dad, we make eye contact. It's like, you can't say yes because she'll get mad. You can't say no because then she'll get mad. Um, And we'll be like, no, it wasn't salty. It was good. And she's like, I really think it was salty. Don't you think it was salty? And then like, she'll push you and then you're like, yes, it was salty. And she'll be like, why does it never, no one ever liked my cooking. It's it's not as low stakes, not nearly as high as stakes as it was in this movie. But it was just like a similar, like lose-lose situation. But yeah, yeah, like you said, um, but them like, like both of them are trying to like, appease the other but it's just like done without any like the the lack of genuity it's just so obvious it's like an insult like on one hand she's like well don't treat me like a child tell me how to improve but also I want to improve and the mom is like well on one hand I want to tell her how to improve but on the other hand I don't want to piss her off and that kind of thing it's just like yeah I agree with you that like the piano situation is like that was really well done I think one more sequence I also wanted to point out for me was the entire backstory in Geneva or the story of Geneva and Helena's like onset of her illness. I don't know, for me, there was, it was a really interesting thing because there was a part of me that was like, I I was so confused as to where that story was particularly going. And maybe it was (laughs) that's what I thought too. And I was like, what is happening? And I was like, wait, I was I was very confused as to what was happening, and then it it, it was building. I thought it was building up to something really, really like viscerally traumatic, but then you then it was just like, and you left, and that's what caused it. And I was like, wait, I don't know that that subverted a lot of my expectation of where that was going, and just the way he was presenting that was one day after another, sort of. I think it was 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 it Johan was his name who was the 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 gentleman that was with Charlotte at Leonardo Leonardo yeah I was Peter so we (laughs) one for three okay that we could take those numbers uh yes so Leonardo yeah I thought there was something malevolent there but I don't know it was just it was it was strange to see how sort of the minute Charlotte left like life became much more awkward for the three of them that were remaining in the house it became a lot more ambiguous in in my mind and that's what like for me was perhaps along with like the the scene there the the nightmare that Charlotte had of Eva choking her um there's like a lot of fear in this one as well that I, I those are the two standout moments for me in which I was like I I I was complete I, I was sort of like in suspension of I didn't know where this was quite going and I felt really scared I don't know if you had that same experience of fear when you were watching either of those moments or any moments in the film but yeah that that was that was for me the dream where she thinks that Ava's choking her I was caught off guard just because it wasn't like that kind of like aggression physical aggression hasn't been happening like I mean, verbal, there's been, there's like a lot of verbal aggression. Yeah. Um, But I mean, it makes sense in the respect to Bergman and his career, just like the psychological nature that's also happening, because I think that's like one of the few times in the film where it's like more explicit that like, it's mentally taking a toll on them as well, rather than like just them spatting at one another. Um, I guess with the, the, the Helena backstory, I 
I think what I found so interesting about what when they were saying that was like his willingness to reenact it in a way. The reenactment was very still. Like it had like the min most minimal movements whatsoever, and it's it felt strange. And I think it made it complicated the film even more because it's like you don't really see the love Helena has for Leonardo, right? It's said, but the stillness in which Bergman films, you don't get the sense of this romance being as grand as uh, Eva says it is. And Eva using that as kind of the like reason that Helena is the way she is and telling her mom and blaming her mom for it is like it, that felt like getting stabbed like I'm not a mother but like I would imagine like your child blaming the faults of not faults but like the, medical medical maladies yeah. of your of your sibling yeah like, on because you decided to leave for a concert that must be so hard and it just I think it, it was so interesting because um, when I, I was, I mentioned a bit that I watched the um, the little videos that come with the, the extras um, in the criterion of this. And Liv Ullman, there's an interview of Liv Ullman talking about the film and she kind of goes into like, says that she thinks that Bergman, the director was pretty harsh on the mother character. like. Um, when they were shooting it, it felt like he was more antagonistic towards the mother figure. And you, at that moment, you you could argue if you saw it at a surface level that, yeah, it's pretty antagonistic. But I think that moment in particular made me kind of question kind of the validity of a lot of the things that Ava has said as well, or not question, but definitely like see where both sides are coming from in a weird way, you know? Like they both hurt each other and don't don't know like how to communicate it well. And that specific moment, I think, you know, I think it's definitely Ava like trying to communicate like what that like her parents leaving her, or the mom leaving her and Helena was detrimental, but then like doing it that way is not necessarily the most conducive, you know. Um, so I don't know if that even made sense at all. <laughs> I did not feel terribly sympathetic towards the mother. Okay, so you're like Ingrid Bergman. Not Ingrid, I but Ingrid. I mean, Ingmar I don't I don't think that Ingrid Bergman, I don't think that Ingmar Bergman takes a 50-50, like, sometimes you watch films where there's two opposing sides and there's, like, no winner, and I don't think that Ingram Bergman, Ingmar Bergman, takes a 50-50 stance on the film. I think I would agree that he's harsher on the mother, but I, like, also agree that the mom, like, sucked um, just based on watching it. Because, like, when she makes all the comments about, like, Helena especially and stuff mm, like that, yeah. I just, like, I'm... I have a hard time feeling sorry for her um, because like, I think I understand there was like a little bit of that, like, oh, she was a woman trying to forge her career at a time where that kind of thing was like frowned upon and obviously very difficult. But I think she had a larger responsibility to her child that she just overlooked career or not. Like if you're a parent, there are some, I guess there are some like very base level things that I feel like she, the character obviously did not do or neglected and had um, lasting repercussions for both daughters. And so I just feel, I feel less sympathetic toward the mom. Less, not, not sympathetic, but less sympathetic. I think that's where we disagree. Cause I feel like as someone who like, you know, I mean, I told, I do, I do feel more hatred to the mother character than I do with only character Ava, but I I feel sympathetic about the whole ambition thing of being a woman in a workspace, in a space that like you don't, you know, get to do the things of your full potential that you want to do just because like people expect you to be the mother, you know? And I think Ingrid Bergman, like the performance and the way she like valorizes 
music and art, you get that sense that like she wants to be great, but society is not letting her. And I feel kind of sympathetic in that specific way. And I think that weighs a lot on me. And that's why I'm a little more sympathetic to that character in general. Um, of course, there are, you know, the way she talks about Helena is very awful and vile, but I send my regards a bit not to mention like the whole thing about replaceability and that kind of existential threat with mothers and daughters, like the competingness of not really wanting to be thrown aside because something new is coming that you, not new is coming that can replace you, that kind of feeling that Bergman seems to be interested about in a lot of his movies, <laughs> persona, <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I think I'll offer a I, I agree I so I I agree a bit with Stephanie oh my gosh I said I agree again I, I swore to myself I've been editing these podcasts just as a side note to people that are listening I say I agree way too often and I'm trying to correct myself so I will here's what I will say I was reading um some some supplement some supplemental stuff on the internet about the film and I think it was interesting to read about how Ingrid Bergman and Ingmar Bergman had a lot of conflict on the set mm-hmm. um, because Ingmar had a very particular vision for how Charlotte was supposed to be. And I do think he sort of takes a little bit of a stance against her, but I don't think it's out of necessity, like malice. And the reason I say that is, I think I mentioned this on the last podcast, but I saw an, uh, like he was doing an interview in like 2003 where he's like, I have never watched any of my films simply because all of them make me cry. And I believe now this is like film theory conspiracy and probably way too psychoanalytic of me. Yeah, tin foil hat on, but like I definitely think Ingmar sees a lot of himself in mm-hmm. possibly Charlotte. And so I personally think that there's a lot of compassion but also a lot of self not hatred but self-hatred self-loathing perhaps that he sees in that character that I don't think maybe Ingrid necessarily saw so I I I think that's my my personal view on it Liv Ullman in her interview she mentions something similar about what you're talking about Rohan but she also mentions how Ingrid was pretty defensive of the mother character a bit you know interesting um that also another interesting fact you know the daughter who plays the the small child who plays ava in the flashbacks yeah that is Liv Ullman and ingmar bergman's child to add a little wrinkle into it oh my god that is mouths are open for those that cannot see us because that is that is some oh my deeply personal shit that is going on in this movie. I did not also, realize like, that. Ingmar Bergman had affairs with like every single one of his leading women. And like, I think he has like nine children or something. He like has with children. What? He has nine children. I look it up. He has had like, he's been like married four times and has affair, had affairs with like a whole bunch of his leading women. B.B. Anderson, Liv Ullman, um, all of them, I think I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it looks like it. Right? Yeah, he he's had a lot of uh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, nine children. Yeah, dang. Oh my god! Wow. Yeah, and yeah. he like has had affairs with, like I definitely definitely BB Anderson and Liv Ullman. I think he has kids by both of them. Um, let me make sure. Yeah, Harriet Anderson, BB Anderson, Liv Ullman. He had affairs with them. Though there, there are three leading Swedish actresses that have mm-hmm. been in his films and stuff. But yeah, oh my God, that was his daughter yeah. with one of the main actresses. Oh my God! Wow, that's wild. Holy shit! Oh my God. Yeah. Some deeply personal stuff. I feel very uncomfortable psychoanalyzing Bergman at this point. I feel like I'm I'm t- I'm encroaching on some things that. He wanted me to see, but I feel very uncomfortable in, in realizing as well. My gosh. As Joelle said in our group chat, why would you want Bergman? Because he's just going to make you depressed. Yeah. Cassavetes said that. Cassavetes had a good point. 
<laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> or some person in his movie. But Casamettis wrote his movie, so he said that. Interesting. Wow. <laughs> Sorry for dropping that bomb on y'all. Well, I... Dang, I'm just like, huh? <laughs> Interesting. Um, yeah, I, I just, I just don't know how to respond to that. I'm like, I, I, I mean, like, it feels like it's a confirmation of the things I just said in the slight yep, way. It definitely, yeah. is. Liv Holman does confirm it. If you want to watch the supplements of the, yes, I, I know what I'm doing to, to later, later tonight. I'm, 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 I'm cracking up in those supplements. The green night. <laughs> Yeah, no, we're gonna skip the green night. We're cracking open that that was Bergman supplements on the channel, for sure. Um, I don't know if it's on the channel. I got it from my DVD. Interesting. I I do. I I I saved up, and the one thing I did spend money on was a was the Bergman set from Criterion for the Barnes and Noble set. I feel so good on my self control. I I. You don't need it, but I am proud of you for doing so, and I'm proud of you, and I'm sure your wallet is also proud of you too. I think it was more because I had to buy a bunch of new furniture because I moved, and so I was feeling real not good about my financial situation. That is also very fair. That is very fair. So this is a weird note to say this, but I those were I think we touched on pretty much the main set pieces and the big things I personally wanted to talk about. Was there anything that you all will think that we should also talk about or anything, any other reasons why? you would, in my presumption, based off of both this conversation and your letterbox rankings, would recommend Autumn Sonata to people? I have two. The first one, that like 15 minute monologue by Liv Oldman, where she just rails on Ingrid Bergman, is so good. It was very cathartic. (laughs) The second thought I was going to say was it actually came out of what I had a hard time like figuring out or like how to articulate it and then Liv Ullman and the supplements kind of did it in like a really good way but basically she was saying how Ingmar Bergman doesn't like it when you like switch the dialogue of like any of his scripts so what she wanted to do um and what what I think she does really successfully is kind of like okay well, the, the, the dialogue is really direct, you know, it's, it's, does, it's not like very subtle, like the only subtle part is that piano, like I think the piano set piece, the other ones, they literally are just telling each other how they feel. And what she was saying was kind of interesting in terms of like, she would often act opposite of what was being said to kind of like give this weird uncomfortability, uncomfortability, is that Discomfort. 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 Yeah, there we go. I knew that sounded weird. Um, this kind of discomfort in both of those characters. Like a lot of what I thought was like really good about the acting was not necessarily like they both seemed to be playing a part, you know. And it felt very uneasy, just the words and kind of their action silent actions. Like in the piano sequence, you kind of kind of get that where she's like where the mom does like say like oh it's it's nice to see you play you know even that subtle line it's not like it wasn't that it was like oh I like you look good instead of you played good you know um and kind of then like seeing Ingrid Bergman's face kind of also not agree with what she's saying in a way I felt that kind of energy just throughout the whole film where like sometimes they just wouldn't even like their body language would just say one thing and then what they're saying would say another thing. And so it kind of like reveals more about who they are and like how they feel in the situation. And I thought that was really interesting. And I, I think I'm um, misquoting Liv Ullman. It wasn't necessarily she was opting, acting opposite of the dialogue, but it wasn't like she wasn't acting with the dialogue a lot, you know? I think that's really interesting because I think that's what makes it if it, I think that's definitely a reason possibly why it doesn't feel like a traditional melodrama is because you know the 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 emotions don't match the the emotives or the the facial I'm just grabbing at my face just be like 
like a million Oscar reels over and over and over again, which are just like the actors yelling at each other at the top of their lungs. And everyone just thinks that's like really good acting. It's not like it easily could have been just straight like a two hour Oscar reel, like an Oscar bait Oscar reel. But it's not because I think the actors make a really interesting choices to not necessarily lean into kind of the really heavy intense emotions but kind of play with the emotions to make it more ambiguous and complicated not necessarily a black and white situation isn't that one of the things that Liv Ullman's character like literally complains about to her mom she's all like the words you say don't match the ins- the expressions uh-huh. in your eyes mm-hmm. Interesting. oh I guess I also have another one I for some reason thought the quote of like my intense hate turned into intense fear or my hate turned into intense fear was a really great quote because I can relate to that. Forgot about that till just now. Yes, that is, uh, that, I remember I that specific Like I literally wrote that quote down. I was like, this is really good. Man. <laughs> yeah, so many good one-liners. Mm-hmm. I think I'm still, I'm still reeling over just you took charge. You were in charge of every word of our in our house, and I was like, "Damn, goodness, where was this movie when I was an angsty teenager?" Honestly, <laughs> or even now, the characters in the movie are adults. <laughs> I mean, it did wreck me, but like, yeah, if I watched this as like a sixteen-year-old, I don't know what I'd do. Yeah, i I feel like I would have. I, I feel like I would have been way more. I would have been like I know myself now I feel like I would have been like this makes sense in my head but I wouldn't have been able to process it at all if I watched it when I was younger (laughs) yeah those are my three little inserts I wanted to talk about because I think this movie is fucking amazing I think so too Stephanie you got anything you want to pass on as recommendations watch it with your mom or not (laughs) oh yeah or not um but yeah Man, big I sad. I find a hard time watching Ingrid Bergman, Inger, Igmar, oh my god, fucking god, <laughs> Igmar Bergman films with, like, not people who are into films, you know? I yeah. definitely was they watching it energy, but... and my parents <laughs> were there also. They weren't paying attention, but they were just in the same room, and it was weird. They weren't really paying attention. They would just look up every now and then, like, when Helena was screaming, and I'd be like, in this... <laughs> I am so weird right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> if I was living in my old apartment with my old roommates, like, I would feel so bad. I'd be like, oh, no. Yeah, no, I I, I, I watched Bergman alone, like, a, like, and just mull with myself afterwards. That sounds really weird, but that's what I do. I mean, I did the same thing. I admitted <laughs> I stared at my TV for, like, 10 minutes and pitch black. <laughs> I think that's, that's, then I believe that's it from everybody. Anything oh, else we want to? My first colored Ingmar Bergman film. Yes. My... Yes. Beautiful. Sven, the OG <laughs> cinematographer that has like a really weird, it's like this and Did also you know he... what's eating Gilbert Grape. And it's like, what, what, what two different, and Sleepless in Seattle. <laughs> yeah, that one's, that one's my favorite. Yeah. It's like the guy who fil- who did the cinematography for fucking Seven Seal also did Sleepless in Seattle. Yeah. So weird. Interesting. Interesting man. What a what a turn in his career. He did Seven Seal, right? Am I, I don't think uh I don't think he did he did Persona. Oh fuck me. Oh. Yeah. From no still from the cinematographer yeah, that did. brought you Persona and Sleepless in Seattle. Yeah. There, yeah, that's the one. Cool. All right, I think then that wraps up our conversation. So if you're curious about this film, of course, you can uh, watch it on the Criterion channel or HBO Max if you're curious about it. Next week, we are going to be diving into the mini-series version of Scenes from a Marriage, which I believe is also on Criterion channel. Not sure about HBO Max, but um, yeah, probably there too. Like, would make sense. And as a side note, if you liked what you heard here today and are interested in learning more about UW Film Club in general, you can follow us on at Film Club UW on Twitter and Instagram. And if you like this episode and want to check out more of our podcast episodes, you can check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play. And yeah, I want to thank 
Cynthia and Stephanie for a great conversation about mother-daughter relationships and or the daughters of mothers <laughs> I would like to exclude myself from that unfortunately but I am the son of a mother so I got halfway there but yeah when I say that I always think of like all the like people on social media they're like oh I am as a father of a daughter I am a feminist and she's like oh fucking bullshit but I'm like, use that preamble as an excuse sorry <laughs> Fathers and, yeah. and sons, as yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every Republican's favorite line to show that they are for women's rights. Yeah. Anyway, that is, I think, uh, from us at Film Club. Thanks for listening in this week on a weird note, and we'll catch you all next week. See you then. Bye.